finished his sermon, I leaned over and I asked him, has this ever happened to you? Have you ever gotten up to preach right after the liturgist read a different scripture reading than you were prepared for? He replied, yes, it's happened a few times. And I asked him, what do you do in those situations? He goes, well, sometimes I'll try to shoot from the hip, and other times I'll just read the scripture again. And this morning I was hoping Natalie would read something different, but she didn't. So here we are talking about divorce on a Sunday morning. You know, off the bat, this scripture reading has a lot going on. We've got Jesus addressing two different topics in three scenes over 15 verses. The two topics, divorce and children. Two topics that don't seem to go together very well, and yet our gospel writer, for some reason, thought it would be a good idea to put them together. You know, these two scenes must have been a lot to take in 2,000 years ago. But for us today, it's even harder. Because what would have transpired perhaps over the course of a day is distilled down to just a few verses. And we read them this morning and we hear them. And we're 2,000 years removed from the event. Again, the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus. And you might be thinking, how on earth is divorce a trap? You see, a few chapters earlier in Mark 6, Herod had John the Baptist killed because John spoke against divorce when Herod was married. You know, speaking against a king, whether it's 2,000 years ago or today, can be really risky business. The Pharisees, though, they were political supporters of Herod. So the trap that they laid for Jesus was simple. They wanted to have Jesus say anything, anything remotely critical of divorce so that it would antagonize Herod. And then Herod would have Jesus killed just as he had done to John the Baptist. It's a trap. Jesus answers the question from the Pharisees with a question of his own. What did Moses command? This type of response irritates me to no end. Because I do this all the time. I will ask someone a question, and then they will return in kind with a question instead of the answer. But I have found that this happens most when the person I'm asking the question of knows that I already know the answer. So the Pharisees quote Deuteronomy 24. Here's what they said. So he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. She then leaves his house and goes off to become another man's wife. When we read Deuteronomy 24, we notice a few things. First, this text sounds like it's intended to protect women, ensuring that she is not charged with adultery, an offense of which back then would have resulted in death. But if we take a closer look at what the Pharisees are quoting we see that this is a practical application to the issue of divorce. Jesus asked what Moses, a man, said on the topic, not what God said to Moses on the topic. 
And then the Pharisees come back with the day-to-day solution to the scenario. But Jesus goes a step further than Moses. So while the Pharisees are concerned with what they are to do in the day-to-day situation, Jesus goes back, way, way back to Genesis 1 and 2, looking at what God's intention was for us at the beginning of creation. Jesus was looking at what God's plan was, while the Pharisees are looking at what our human day-to-day situation is. So Jesus places Genesis against Deuteronomy, Scripture against Scripture. He's placing what God said on the matter against what Moses said on the matter. Jesus wants to talk about what God's plan for us is, and the Pharisees want to talk about what our own agenda is. And again, the disciples don't understand what's going on. They've been with Jesus since the beginning of his ministry, and they still ask for a clarifier. Except this time, they use language of adultery. And at this, this is the point in our reading when I begin scratching my head. The disciples and the Pharisees were asking a different question than the one Jesus wanted to answer. The disciples and the Pharisees were asking questions of an earthly matter, and Jesus was answering from the divine point of view. But Jesus doesn't offer any further explanations. And then we move on. The third scene in this reading is a favorite among people who believe that children are not the church of tomorrow. That children are, in fact, the church of today. Not a group waiting to have some mantle passed on to them. Just last year on Children's Sabbath, I preached from this story. But I stopped. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. But there's more to it. That's the point where people like me want to stop because we read this text with our own human agendas. And when we do that, we miss out on the implications associated with the kingdom of God. Jesus followed, let the little children come to me by saying, do not stop them. For it is such as these that the kingdom of God belongs. Truly, I tell you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will never enter it. And again, we are left scratching our heads. The kingdom of God belongs to children? There will be times when all of us are confronted by similar traps within Scripture. Similar to the one that the Pharisees posed to Jesus. And while the trap may not be intended to have us killed, there can still be spiritual and theological harm inflicted. These questions come in the form of, but you know, the Bible says, the Bible says this, or the Bible says that, or the Bible doesn't say anything on the matter. The but the Bible says trap catches us off guard. And when we're off guard, we begin to frantically try to recall something from Scripture, something from our fifth grade Sunday school class, perhaps, that will offer us a counter-argument to what's being presented to us. More often than not, though, 
these tracts of, but you know, the Bible says, they're never about divorce, and they're never really about whatever topic is being presented to you. The question always boils down to this. Does your vision of the kingdom of God align with mine? Does what I read in scripture about God match what you read in scripture about God? And if what I read doesn't match with what you read, how can I prove to you that you are wrong and get you to align with what I think? For the Pharisees to show Jesus the error of his way, they were willing to have him killed. But for us today, we're not necessarily talking about life and death, but we are talking about the exclusion of people from our community, a community that was formed in and by God. We're talking about having, we're not talking about having people killed by a jealous king, but we are talking about using scripture to knock the spiritual life out of someone. In these two topics over three scenes within 15 verses, while the topics reflect things like divorce and children, Jesus is addressing something much bigger than those two things. Jesus is teaching the Pharisees and his disciples and teaching us today about establishing a firmer foundation for our community. The questions presented to Jesus are questions of humans. And in both responses, Christ is looking to what the will of God is for us, even when our human blinders prevent us from seeing what God's will is for us. The Pharisees were presenting Jesus with questions of the law, a law that was intended to promote a patriarchal society. So when we look at the details of what they quoted back to Moses. We see that while a certificate of divorce looks like it's beneficial for a woman at this time, 2,000 years ago, only a woman could file for divorce. So Jesus' words on divorce are threatening a patriarchal system in place. When he quotes Genesis 1 and 2, he reminds the Pharisees and the disciples that the kingdom of God is much bigger than anything we can imagine. The kingdom of God includes all of those we say are excluded. Because we say things like, you know, the Bible says. By quoting Genesis instead of echoing Deuteronomy, Jesus told the Pharisees that the kingdom of God's dis disruptive reign will empower those previously without power. Social structures designed to keep people, groups in their places will be disrupted. This point is driven home even further when Jesus doubles down using children, a segment of the population 2,000 years ago that were viewed as property. This group was used to illustrate the dependency required to enter into the kingdom of God. Reliance on God will be necessary if we want to be a part of the kingdom-building work Jesus began with his ministry. Jesus told his disciples, he told the Pharisees, and the scriptures remind us today that in the kingdom of God there is a greater equality and hospitality for those who are most oppressed. 
not seeing or understanding this as a trap that we all fall into. Because while Jesus is talking about equality, inclusion, and humility, the the Pharisees and us today continue to think that the kingdom of God is about us. Childlike dependence on God relieves us from debating the finer points of the law and instead invites us all to step into the grace of God made known to us through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And Christ extends that same invitation despite how many times we set and step into a trap set by someone else or how many times we are the ones who set the trap. Thanks be to God. Amen.